Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Front End Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne. I'm a senior front end developer at Actimo, and with me, as always, is my co host, Scott Francis, a senior front end engineer at Porsche. How are you doing, Scott? Hey, Evan. Um, really good. Um, like, Honestly, like today, well, I had a great week last week. I uh, went driving, went over to Germany to the Porsche factory uh, and the Porsche Museum, and they uh, got us to drive some cars. I drove in a, I drove in a Taycan, uh, which was insanely fast, uh, like full electric car, insanely fast. Like I felt like I was on a roller coaster or something. It was incredible. You'd never believe. Um, it was like an electric car. I'm I'm not strictly a car guy, but I'm definitely I'm definitely definitely a Porsche guy. <laughs> like oh, definitely, that's good. Yeah, but, you, wouldn't, you, you wouldn't want to be like working for Apple and be like, oh, but I really, you know, I got to use my that Android phone. No, 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 no. It was, uh, it was a, like. an, yeah an amazing week and like um, like great thing to do. But today is a red letter day. After two months. The kids have gone back to school. Yeah. <laughs> I finally start. We can we can begin the healing. Exactly. Yeah, you can have dates with your your significant other again. Yeah, absolutely. From from my side, we've been away all summer, and we're finally back home. And it's been so nice to be able to actually go down and walk in the forest, or go to the sea where we were in the city before. And yeah, it's nice to be back. Cool. Sure. Um, now, listeners, I want to front load something here. We've done this before. We'll do it again. And it's to ask you, please, dear listeners, give us some feedback on the show. Uh, leave a comment or a rating where you listen to us or drop us a message on Twitter. Uh, we're at Heroes Front End. Um, we just really want to know, like, do you like the format? What else you might be interested in hearing us to, to discuss? Um, other guests you might want us to have on. So thank you for that. You are the best listener the podcast could ever hope for. Today's episode is sponsored by Netcentric, an award-winning global uh, Adobe Global Alliance partner and consultancy, headquartered in Switzerland with all offices all over Europe as well as in Pune, India. Um, they're currently hiring for a number of roles, so if you're looking and you're interested in being in a consultancy, check them out. They are awesome. We are, are as ever, so glad to have their support with this show. Now, with all that out of the way, today we have a guest. Uh, his Twitter bio, at the very least, uh, says that he is a professional gate opener. He's managing DevRel at Auth0, instructor at Egghead, and author of the Developer Microskills newsletter. So, Sam Julien, can you introduce yourself and let us know a bit about how you got into the tech scene to begin with? Sure, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, currently, what I'm doing is um, I am the interim head of developer marketing at Auth0 right now. Um, we had some changes when my boss left for a startup. And so I've been stepping up to take over some of that stuff. And um, I've been at Auth0 for about three years, uh, actually just recently crossed three years. And um, before that, I was a full stack developer at a nonprofit in Portland um, doing C Sharp on the back end and then Angular on the front end. I was responsible for a big migration from AngularJS to Angular, which is kind of how I got started in the like developer relations and technical content area. Um, I built a huge course on migrating from uh, AngularJS to Angular and, and released that in 2018. And that kind of sparked a lot of changes in my career. And um, so, yeah, I'm a self-taught developer. Um, I 
didn't go to a boot camp, don't have a degree in computer science, uh, but I had a number of friends kind of help me uh, learn modern JavaScript around 2013, 2014, got my first job um, as a junior developer for a financial company. And yeah, that's that's the very basic nutshell of it. Um, developer relations is a thing I'm very passionate about. I wrote a book just about a year ago called Getting Started in Developer Relations that's all about, well, how to get started in developer relations. Um, yeah, that's that's a pretty good nutshell. Okay. Yeah, and for those of you that are paying close attention, you'll remember that uh, Sam was nominated as True Hero back at the beginning of this season by uh, Chris Sev. Um, and yeah, he was adamant in saying how glad he was to have you in the community and how supportive you are. Um, and we immediately went and followed. I've been keeping up to date with your newsletters. Um, it's really good stuff. And I like the approach you take as well in them of not taking <laughs> being comfortable in front of audiences for granted. Um, that's something that you assume that all DevRel people or all kind of visible front-enders in the community are like extroverts and that's not always the case um it's it sometimes is a skill to be to come across that way even yeah definitely um, yeah 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 uh yeah for me uh, i'm definitely an introvert and i i've had to practice a lot of those things a lot of speaking and things like that i had a couple of uh, earlier life experiences that helped prepare me for that. I was a musician and all throughout um, school. And so I did a lot of musical performance, which really helped get me acclimated to being on a stage. And then um, when I was uh, broke 20 something, I was uh, in financial sales and it was a commission job. And I had to learn how to basically cold approach people and talk to strangers and that kind of thing. And it was extremely difficult and very intimidating, but it, uh, I had no choice. I, that was the only way I could pay my rent. <laughs> and so I, um, quickly had to go through trial by fire to learn those skills. Um, and so that those like networking and speaking skills, they, they're, they don't come naturally. I'd say for most people, I think you have to learn them or be taught them. Uh, by somebody else. And so that's kind of what I try to do in the newsletter is just uh, rather than have these big sweeping statements or uh, kind of hand wavy things, I try to really drill down into the, I call the micro skills of every little thing, like very, very tiny decisions and skills that you can practice to add up to, to, to accumulate into success. Okay. Um, so was this um, the bit by bit approach, what you the, the thing that you used when you were doing the cold sales because uh, or did you like, it seems to me like it would be the kind of environment the way you would have to go like all in um, to, to get places with that. Like, did you discover when you were doing that that actually this isn't the approach for you? You need to like, think about things a little more and break them down into like so you can see how you could do those better. Uh, in the in the moment, you know, being in my early 20s and not knowing what I was doing, and I was just going to um, sales training and things like that. I don't think I had the wherewithal to like put any of that together. But what has been happening is since I've been um, teaching DevRel to people, uh, I've kind of looked back and thought, okay, okay, what are the things that actually helped me? learn and grow over the last several years over the last like 
decade maybe and realizing that it wasn't like that that those kind of eureka moments or like the big times where you get have some big revelation they don't happen all at once they usually are because of a series of small things that have added up and what really helps me are just like little practical things like you know like how to approach a group of people or how to um you know how to gracefully exit a conversation or that that kind of like those little tiny skills like these just little skills that you can learn um those are the things that you know made me feel like i was getting traction on things and i would start to see results in that kind of thing and so that's the way i try to teach those skills in turn yeah it makes to- it makes total sense i mean like honestly this is the skill that i'm yet to acquire is to remember people's names like immediately in conversation i mean i've tried like using their name straight away and then five minutes later it's gone i mean like it helps a little bit but like that is definitely a skill that i'm yet to acquire but i think that breaking things down i mean i I guess this is something that you could take into um any of us could take into coding really is like it is a skill that you know something at the beginning could look so daunting like like the end product of anything can look so daunting and like we see that breaking it down into like intersections and then into components and like bits of the component, like it's the, it's the, the best way for us to do it as developers. So yeah, for sure. It's going to be a skill that's going to help like in other forms, in other walks of life. Yeah. Yeah. On the remembering name things, uh, names thing, what I used to do uh, when I was in finance was I would basically, I would go at, if I was at a networking event, I would talk to people for maybe like 20 minutes at a time, like four or five conversations and then I would immediately go off and write down the name of who I talked to and where they worked. Uh, and that seemed to work the best. Um, yeah. I, I could really not remember it for more than 10 or 15 minutes and then it was gone forever. <laughs> yeah. I do a similar thing at work. I have a, I have a, a notion board of like, uh, basically it's like all people at my company and like, you know, just little things about them that might help me like, to remember yeah. like the names and who they are and background and things like that. So, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, this may be a, uh... This may be a good segue, and it may not be. Um, the episode title this time around is "The Incredibles," and and as usual with these, it's maybe a bit of a stretch. But if you've seen the film, one of the themes is about sort of learning to embrace and to grow upon the powers you have within you already. And I I, I kind of feel like this idea of micro skills is this way of bringing challenges into people's minds so that they can try them out beforehand it's this idea of like the kid you know you're fast but have you been in a position where you can run on water because you can do that you're that fast right they all throughout the course of the film sort of find the when you're put to the like crucial like moment of having to save your family or whatever it might be you can do pretty wild things you can do things you never understood and developers as scott you were saying like we do that a lot where we're just like well what if i have what if i have no choice other than to try and make this thing work can i figure out how to do that can i do that yeah and it's the same thing in personal relations you're suddenly at a conference giving a keynote you know how'd that happen um but you know you can probably pull it off or you wouldn't have gotten into that position to begin with you know exposing yourself to this so a lot of uh (laughs) stretching the metaphor but i think the idea is you are enabling people to become superheroes through this kind of work. And I think it's really awesome. 
Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I think it's not, it's not as big of a stretch as I think you might, you might be thinking. Because the one thing that I've really found is, and I say this in, I have this article called "The Painfully Shy Developer's Guide to Networking for a Better Job," and one of the things I say in there is that social skills are sort of like learning a new programming language. And what I find is mm -hmm. that people um, underestimate their capacity to learn and change in a an area they're not very comfortable familiar with so a lot of developers they get really intimidated by thinking about like giving a talk or having to meet people or um any number of those kinds of things and and they what they don't often realize is like they've already they already possess the skill to learn those things because they've already had to learn a complex subject in programming and maybe maybe it's not even related to stuff they've done for their job maybe it's just some life experience they've had where they've had to learn and adapt and practice something you know maybe practice a sport or practice an instrument or that kind of thing but i find that people kind of when the context is different they tend to forget that their experience is directly applicable to to that new skill they're trying to learn. And so that's one of the focuses I try to have in my newsletter and books and that kind of thing is like, you're probably better off than you think you are. And you just have to practice this new set of skills. Like it's not a, it's not a, about your like value as a person or your like capacity to do something. It's really just like, this is an area that you don't have practice in. And so I try to give people the, the, blueprint of here are the here are the different skills you can break down to practice in the real world and uh you likely already have the capacity to do them you just need to put in the reps of of doing it yeah yeah i think that's i think that's exactly uh the comparison i was hoping to draw and i mean all of the the guests we've had on uh in one way or another have talked about that sort of encountering something that was just hard <laughs> and then kind of achieving it. Um, yeah. Because honestly, that's, that's kind of what life is. <laughs> any capacity, career, uh, family, any of these things, you encounter these things and then you succeed. And even if you fail, we talked uh, another time, even if you fail, you can take away and learn from that. So it can become a success as well. Um, and not to be too afraid of that either. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I fundamentally believe that the way we grow is by taking risks, doing challenging things quickly, getting feedback on them. A big part of that is trying and failing and then taking that feedback and iterating on it. Um, but if you look back on any difficult thing you've accomplished in life, there's usually that formula of like figuring out what the hard work was and doing it anyway, and then taking that experience and learning from it and shaping yourself through interacting with the world. And so I just try to take that framework and cast it into different areas. It's really good. Um, this is a, uh, another bridge, but you're, you're, the other hat, we've been talking about uh, micro skills and stuff, and I hope we do come back to it. But the other hat is uh, DevRel specifically for Auth0. And yeah. um, we we also have had other DevRel guests on. And what I like about the trend in that is that these companies that have really proper official developer relations roles, they're they're solving problems for the community and they're making it so that the average developer doesn't have to go through a particular hard time. 
and learn right. through their failures and so on. They can just plug it in or just get it done. So, I mean, for for author, authorization and, and like login and credentials and all that sort of stuff, there's a lot of things and you're, you're, you guys kind of solve that, right? Um, I, I don't necessarily want to be too like salesy, but it's a cool product. Um, I guess w- one thing would be like, how have, how have you been drawn to that? And like, what are you excited about uh, regards to the problems that it solves? Yeah, I'm one of those people who can't work for somewhere that I don't agree with, <laughs> like that I don't that sure. I don't believe in, especially with the nature of the type of work that I'm doing. And what's always excited me about Authero is that it really is a difficult problem, like putting and if you've ever had to build your own login system, it's not easy. You know, there's a lot of it seems easy on the surface because you think, oh, I just need to throw together some sort of login and password and I'll be fine. And then you start thinking through like once once that goes beyond just a basic hobby application, you actually have real users in production and all of that. You start realizing, oh, there's a lot of complicated stuff around data privacy and passwords and uh, you know multi-factor authentication and all of those things where you, it, it adds up really quickly and can get really overwhelming. And so I... I I've always really liked Auth0 because it's targeted at developers. It's, you know, that's our bread and butter is just helping developers build things. You know, that's really the core of it. And so for me, it, it makes it easy to do developer relations because it's just like, hey, you want to build this cool thing and you have this problem of needing user management and we have a thing for you that can do that. <laughs> and I don't, you know, so I, I, I don't have to be, very aggressive or salesy because it's just sort of like it's either going to work for you or it's not and if it's not like let's figure out why it's not working for you and figure out whether that's something on our end or or you know we're not the right answer or something um but yeah it's it's uh it's a cool place to work and it's um you know at this point it's kind of funny because auth zero is i guess we're coming up on seven years old somewhere somewhere in there and uh but at this point, we're sort of some of some of the um, I would say we're sort of in a long tier of developer relations programs, you know, where we're, we're becoming quite established as a developer relations program and uh, especially through like the ambassadors program and things like that. And so we're in this interesting state where we're starting to evolve and grow and scale beyond kind of the scrappy startup DevRel and into like a um, I mean, the problem that I'm sort of obsessed with these days is like, how do we scale developer relations in a way that remains authentic and helpful to the community? and isn't just sort of, um, you know, marketing speak or something. So how, so how do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. That's a good question. I think a lot of it, I mean, a lot of this is sort of what I'm working through, but a lot of it I think is um, continuing to just scale presence in local communities, you know, hiring people in different regions and having ambassadors in different regions and countries to be involved with meetups and conferences and write really good content and uh, be involved in forums. And, um, you know, again, the, the goal just being help developers build cool things, you know, help them get their job done and um, enable, you know, give them ideas on how, 
your user management can actually take your application to the next level. You know, you can do some cooler things around passwordless or, um, uh, you know, biometrics or something like that to, to, to do, to do, to take things to the next level. We actually just had, we just sponsored a, a hackathon for Hashnode, and we had quite a number of really, really cool projects for that. And that made me really happy. Maybe there's a way we can, I don't know if that stuff's public yet, but it, if so, it'd be cool to link to some of that. But that's kind of a, a prime example of what, what we want to do is just uh, give people the tools they need to build whatever they're trying to do, you know? Yeah, and to that, question, sorry. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say to that end, I think that chimes with what you said before about yourself, about being somebody who really needs to believe in like the thing that they're doing, um, like to to have that really resonate with people um, in the community, like wherever you are, and if you're doing this at scale, particularly, the challenge would be to find other people who have the same mindset. To, um, I think, it seems to me like you would you would not be able to pull that off without finding people who were really um, embedded, really involved in, uh, and really believed in like the things that you were actually putting out there. Um, without that, I, don't, I just don't think that would work. The authentic, the authenticity is is key there, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, what I've seen a lot around the web recently, and it's it's a side effect of being on Twitter for sure, um, but that there are all these communities that spin up and they're not always based on a DevRel team or person or anything like that. But usually after a while, someone will come into the the forefront. Like, so there's an Angular community or maybe there's like two or three actually. Um, and there's, you know, the NGRX specifically community within that and Discord groups and, and chats and stuff. And you see a lot of the same faces just pop up and you know, like I said, they're they're they're, all, they're almost more ambassadors um, for that particular technology than anything else. But you know, you solve the same issues over and over. You've seen similar things pop up, and you have some time to help. That that's that's a cool little community to be part of. My question always comes: there, there's two parts to this. One is, um, how do you find a balance when you're acting as a sort of like shepherd for for new joiners um how do you stop from being annoyed at the same questions being asked in the tiny slight variations over and over again because that's that can be tedious i'll put it that way um to answer the same question over and over again and then also how do you keep up to date if that's like the biggest part of your job is doing this outreach and just sort of talking and a little show and tell but you know not hitting those sort of, I've got, you know, uh, 10,000 users on this project and, you know, we want to switch over to passwordless, you, you know, not having that as your main task for the, the month. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's two things at once, but. Yeah. So on the first part with the answering the same questions over and over again, one of the best things you can do as a developer advocate is to build yourself a text automation library or a library of links and common questions and nice. chunks of text. So I use a, an app called text expander. Um, that is basically lets me create snippets of text or snippets with links. So I can just type in uh, a couple of letters and it expands out, you know, into like, you know, I get asked all the time, how do I apply to the, uh, the ambassadors program? So I just have a, 
link, or I have a, I can type a couple keys and it expands out into my ambassadors program spiel and link and all of that stuff, uh, which also is a great thing to do for applying to conferences, by the way, I have, I have, have like my bio as a snippet and all of my links as snippets and that kind of thing. Um, so that can really, really help because yeah, as you do developer advocacy, you start to see trends in the common questions and there's definitely a skill to identifying those and having answers ready for them. And of course, if you start to see anything come up more than a couple of times, you should definitely create a piece of content around it as well. That's, nice. that's a very good signal that, uh, I, I would definitely say at least if you see it three times, absolutely make a piece of content about it. Um, even once or twice though, I find on the second time that it's, there's a really good chance it's going to come up again. <laughs> so, uh, that I do that myself when somebody writes in, um, I almost always write an article or a newsletter about it. If it seems like a decent, like a, a good question because it comes up and it almost does. So that's a really good way you can help yourself with that. And that also by removing that friction, that'll also you have nothing to be annoyed about anymore. <laughs> you know, if somebody asks you the same question, it's just a matter of, oh, yeah, let me go find that that thing that I already made about this. And yeah. then you can just answer them. And you always have to remember as a dev advocate or whether you're doing like community community manager or whatever else, like you have to put yourself in that person's shoes. Usually people are firing off these um, forum posts or questions like they're frustrated. They're in the middle yeah. of something. They're trying to get it done. And you can't let that affect how you respond because nine times out of ten, like if somebody writes you a snarky thing and you just write back with like, hey, uh, like, sorry, you're having a hard time. Here's a resource to help you. Like most of the time they will respond and be like, sorry, I was a jerk. I was just like really frustrated. Like, I mean, yeah. like most of the time people are not, you know, so I just sort of let that stuff roll off me and I don't I don't worry about it. Um, yeah. let's see. Before so, we go into part before yeah. we go into part two, I'll, I will also say from a, a senior to junior perspective as well. Uh, I think a lot of times it can come across as a junior is hesitant to ask a question because they're worried they're going to annoy the senior. And and it can come across that way because they sometimes get asked, the seniors get asked the same question. But it is more, the frustration is not with having to repeat themselves. It can oftentimes just be in having to think about how to phrase it. So you're absolutely right that having something that I can copy and paste to at least give the immediate response and then the follow-up that's easy that's conversation but the let me solve your problem in a single response kind of impulse is not always the easiest and uh yeah so yeah it's the i, I think it's the recreating the work that gets frustrating yeah. and so if you can save yourself that step and already have a, a group of links or a pre-canned response that you can just tweak then that'll take the edge off of that <laughs> dramatically <laughs> that's great. um so then the second part you asked was about like how you stay up to date. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, some of that's going to depend on the company that, you know, where, where DevRel sits in the organization and what the, what the thing is. But one of the best things you can do, I mean, most of what people talk about with DevRel is all of the external facing stuff, you know, getting involved with the community and doing talks and making content and all of that. But one of the best things you can do for your career for from a DevRel standpoint is building internal relationships with your product teams and your docs teams and your architects and all of that and getting being tuned into the product roadmap and um, just knowing, you know, having your finger on the pulse of mm. what's what's going on. So one of the one of the biggest values that DevRel brings to a company is all of the 
developer intelligence. You know, dev, dev advocates have a chance to be in these sort of behind the scenes conversations in Discord and Slack and forums and that kind of thing. And so you want to build that two-way bridge between all the other teams in the company. There's a lot of teams at a software company that are like, if only I could just ask a developer what they think about this, you know, but they just don't have, you know, they're in product marketing or they're in, um, you know, customer service or something. And they're, they're not the developers themselves and they don't know how to speak that language. And if they just barge into a developer community and be like, Hey, I'm a product marketer. Like, give me, tell me how you feel. You know, like they're not, nobody's going to listen to them. So as a, as a dev advocate, you have a big chance to grow your career by being that bridge between the two and, and helping out the rest of your company and, um, being the champion for developers to the rest of the company, but then also taking back what kind of, uh, you know, what, what's coming up with the product and, um, what's on the horizon and then sharing that out to the community. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's a very good place to be and enough so that like in the past, um, a few of us, even though we were working at this consultancy, we felt like we were doing dev advocate work in the sense that we were advocating for the developers within the consultancy, if that makes sense. And it wasn't like for a product and it wasn't for the clients that we were serving. It was more just, you guys have such potential. Let's work on our internal documentation within this company so that we're not repeating ourselves and so on and so forth. It was a weird concept because it, it there was no product, right? There was no, like, it was just, we were all working for the same overarching company. But it still it, it ended up feeling the same way. And um, one of those that was in that community, uh, Natalia Vendito, went on. She's been on the podcast before. She's now working for MongoDB. But, you know, it was that same drive to be like, hey, come on, like we, we can we can make something really good here, um, regardless of where you are. So it's interesting that it's not just a product specific impulse either. No, yeah. I think it's I think it's cool like to like to use it in the way that you just said, Evan, like that um, you would really raise the profile up and make people see that they could do like a bit more than they than they thought they could. And I think that probably that probably ties in with the with the micro skills as well that we mm. talked about earlier. I mean just like bit by bit helping people to see that they could that they could really um, that they could really get something else. They could be be beyond what they thought they were they were capable of. But I have one, like maybe this is a, a little curveball or maybe this is like super specific. But um, in terms of like um, getting into conferences and actually like pitching to conferences and getting accepted as a speaker, do you have any like specific guidance on, on that? I know that you do that yourself. Um, and I think that I've been speaking with developers just recently and they're really keen to get into this. Um, but find that they're being rejected. Um, I, or, I, I would say, I think he's going to his text expander now. Yeah, yeah, like maybe <laughs> he is. Maybe he is. I actually was uh, going to my blog to paste in uh, okay, an article that I wrote called uh, Speaker Stuff No One Tells You About Applying to Conferences. <laughs> cool, okay. <laughs> that, um, yeah, there, to, to, to just sort of boil it down, though, that there's kind of... T- a couple different things to think about there. One is 
uh, and I say this in the article, applying to conferences is a skill you can learn. So it's just another, you just have to think of conferences, like applying to conferences. It's just another game that you have to learn the rules to basically. <laughs> there's, there's, uh, and I learned this through, uh, applying to conferences and getting feedback from organizers and that kind of thing. You have to kind of put yourself in the, in the organizer's shoes. You know, they're, they're trying to find a balance between, between, um, known quantities of speakers uh, so that they can sell tickets and have a solid lineup. Uh, so they, they can't take their, there's, they've got to take calculated risks, you know? So you have to do things to assuage those risks. You have to um, have, have some, especially if you're a first time speaker, <clears throat> having some kind of online presence to show, you know, kind of who you are and what you're doing and, um, if you can do anything to like speak at a local meetup and record yourself or something like that, um, you know, there the conference organizers have to try to find the balance of encouraging first time speakers, but also still having a, like a good solid lineup that they know is going to go well and that nobody's going to do something horrible on stage or, you know, throw something off or so there's, so you want to kind of assuage that that concern for them. And then at the same time, when you're writing your CFP, try to think about it from the organizer's perspective. A lot of people, what they do when they write CFPs for the first time, and C sorry, I, I didn't say CFP means call for papers or call for proposals. It's basically the form you submit with your title and a description of your talk and a couple of other questions, that kind of things. But a lot of people, when they do, when they write these summaries of talks, they kind of, they use I a lot, you know, they'll say like in this talk, I'm going to go through the five reasons that you should use NGRX in your project. And I'm going to do this and that. And what a better approach would be thinking about it from the audience's perspective and using you a lot saying that like, you're going to learn this, or, you know, the audience is going to go through this. They're going to feel a lot better by the end because they're, they're going to understand this concept better or, um, you always want to think about it in terms of like what value you're going to bring to the conference and to the audience and to the organizers and put your um, put change your language in your in your proposal to that. And then beyond that, it's just a numbers game. You know, you're just mm -hmm. once you craft a few um, good talk descriptions and you just blast it out to as many places as you can and you get to know. Mm -hmm try to get to know the organizers a lot of, I mean, this is one of the things and it's, we're in sort of a weird time because of all the virtual events, but with the, with the in-person conferences, a lot of conferences happen or a lot of conference speakers get invited by being at another conference and meeting an organizer and the organizer sees their talk and then they come up to them afterwards and they ask them, you know, like I've gotten asked to speak at conferences while I'm at after parties for other conferences, you know? And so and that's the kind of thing where really it's like you just got to kind of get your foot in the door and then you'll you can kind of ride that wave and and keep going with it, you know. Yeah. So I guess so the hopefully first, that article yeah. will, will have some of that info in there to get people get mm -hmm. people started with that stuff. No, super yeah. interesting. Thanks very much. I mean, like it makes it makes a lot of sense. It's not something that I've like tried to do. It's not something. That, um, so um like I've never really given that much thought, but I know that it's a source of frustration so, to, to people. So I think that's like super helpful that you can talk and just give some tips like that. I mean, like, yeah. and they all make perfect sense. Like it's uh, when you, when you think about it now. Um, yeah. 
it really yeah totally really makes sense. one thing i always say to people too is like you know and I, I say this in the article as well but like think about whether it's something you actually want to do or if you just feel like you should be doing it you know like mm-hmm. I, I think people get mm-hmm. to a stage where they're like oh well i guess I have to go give conference talks in order to advance my career. And I guess that's a thing that I need to do. And that, and so I I don't think, I mean, there's plenty of uh, a lot of the best speakers I know are not the best engineers that I know, (laughs) you know, that's a, it's a skill set. And if you want to get on stage and you want to teach and you want to give talks like awesome, like more power to you. But I also don't want people to feel like, oh, well, in order for me to advance my career, I have to go give these conference talks and I hate being on stage and I don't ever want to be around people, but I have to do it anyway. <laughs> you know, like there's sort mm-hmm. of a setting yourself up to fail um, if you're if you're trying to do it out of obligation. Yeah, I, I think it really does come down to find what works for you and try it. You know, like I, I gave a, a couple of conference talks and they were good. But it felt so ephemeral, if that makes sense, um, meaning short-lived. Um, and I know it benefited to a degree, and it, it, it helped people think through some things when I was sharing it in the moment. Um, I had talked about NativeScript. I had talked about just doing interesting things inside Jira, even though you couldn't, and so on. And that was good. But it was the recording that I did of one of my meetup talks that really actually connected with people because I put it up on YouTube afterwards. And now that's like the long tail video that I've had just constantly getting views, which is wild. Um, And honestly, I would rather just do more YouTube videos like that. I don't have a tone. I don't have like the piece for it, but that makes a lot more sense. I can talk. (laughs) I'm good at that. I can, um, you know, edit as well. So maybe that's where I should spend my time rather than going to these conferences. And I think that's okay. You you should experiment. You should try it. If you're more comfortable writing, um, we've had uh, I've had talks with this one guy, and he's not that good of a speaker, but his writing is excellent. And well, go with that, especially if you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's something to be said for finding what medium you enjoy the most and just running with it. Mm. And I think so. We've talked around it a bit, but. What I'm seeing here is that, again, coming back to the this idea of, you know, helping other people find their superpowers, you know, and if you're being a responsible part of this community, you should do that. The people that we see around that are, you know, visibly successful are usually the ones that have that impulse to be like, hey, I see you struggling there. What can I do to give you a leg up, you know? Um or, you know, they see something going on, they say, oh, okay, let me just, <laughs> let me just step into this conversation and sort of steer it over in a certain direction, just to, to get everyone back on the right track. That impulse comes from a place of wanting to grow the community and help people up, not just get yourself ahead. And the byproduct is you do get yourself ahead too. Um, it's, it's a really interesting thing. It comes in so many different forms, but I love I love our career for that, that there seem to be so many of these people around because it works. Helping other people works. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah, it definitely does. I think that um, that's one of the, I think that it also, you, you can't be without authenticity. I think we've spoken, we, we certainly spoke yeah. about this like 10 minutes ago, but you, you can't be without the authenticity. If you are doing it for for that reason, then I think it's not really going to, 
it's not really going to pay off. I also think that people like going back to the point where where people are really like chasing being on a conference stage to further their career. Like, I also wonder like how people are really like measuring their success like in the day to day, because like it could be like without doing anything, without doing any, without having a Twitter presence, without having um, like a really successful YouTube video without doing conference talks, there'll be developers out there who are super successful at what they do, like super successful. Like, and they, and they will nearly always, if they're working with other people, they will nearly always be passing that on as well because they will be fairly senior, if not very senior, and they will be passing their knowledge on. I think that like people shouldn't lose track of, um, of that basically and get like really caught up in like what success actually is because it's very it's it's very likely that they were already successful um yeah totally yeah there's there's many many different paths to success i mean one of my really good friends is a principal architect at a big financial company and he's um he's also one of the best teachers i've ever known he was really influential in my career and yeah, I think he's given a couple of meetup talks, but he's mostly just done, he's mostly teaches internally at all the companies he's been at. You know, I've seen him give a couple of meetup talks, but I don't know if he's ever done any conference talks. Uh, he hasn't written very many articles in the last few years, but I know from talking to him that internally he's, you know, writing huge amounts of documentation and he's leading mentoring sessions and he's training, you know, all kinds of people and all, all of that stuff. And he's, you know, one of the most talented developers I've ever known and also one of the most talented teachers I've ever known, but nobody, you know, you're not going to know who he is. <laughs> Nobody's going to know who he is, you know, but that, but he's, you know, obviously like ridiculously successful if he's a principal architect at a big financial company, you know, so everybody's got their own path that they can forge ahead. And so that's why I always tell people like, if you're interested in writing or speaking or DevRel or that kind of thing, then yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, let me help you figure out the path to success for you but you know you don't have there's tons of more developers out there are not on twitter than are on twitter <laughs> so yeah it's good to keep that in mind because it can definitely feel like you're trying to keep up with i saw a, a tweet earlier today that was saying like you know don't don't um compare yourself to people that are 10 years ahead of you i'm like that's that's very true but i'm comparing myself to someone that's in the same year as me and i'm, <laughs> I'm like that uh yeah you shouldn't compare yourself to anyone you should just be yourself connect with the people around you and uh, that you have direct interactions with and that's the that's going to be the best thing in the long term yeah and comparing yourself to who you were before as well i think you know that's good because you know i've i've struggled with this myself because i i got into development later I, you know i mean like 28 uh was when i got my first tech job. And, um, you know, if I had started doing development in, at 21, fresh out of school, like I'd probably be in a completely different place <laughs> right now in my life. But, you know, I also was just like some random, you know, kid born in Valdosta, Georgia, <laughs> and didn't go to engineering school, didn't know what a boot camp was, all that kind of stuff. So like, if I try to compare myself to people who you know, even are at the same level of experience with me, maybe they had different circumstances that 
were better or worse than me. You know, it doesn't, it, it has to be relative to who you are, you know, because obviously I probably had it better than a lot of people in a lot of ways, but I have to think about, you know, where was I seven years ago? Where was I four years ago? Where was I yesterday? And how can I continue to grow and help more people as I, as I continue to grow in my career? Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, we're, we're getting towards that point in the show. Um, I mean, I think we've touched on a lot of really heartfelt moments there. And, and so we won't reiterate any of those. Um, before we go to the ending bits, uh, we have our segment, True Hero. And in this segment, we want to highlight a few true front-end heroes that are working across the planet and to thank them for all that they do. So this time around, um, Sam, you've nominated one, Anna Sidre. Um, can you tell us a bit about her and why you thought of her for this? Sure. Yeah, so Anna is in Spain, uh, not far from you all, and she is probably mostly well-known by the Angular community. She organized NG Spain, and she was involved with NG Vikings, a couple of conferences. But I, uh, Anna joined our team uh, like a year and a half ago at Auth0, and so I've had the pleasure of getting to work with her and then um, manage her. And she's just, um, she's just such a superstar in so many ways. She has the the combination of just being like highly empathic while also being just really on top of things. And I, I, I don't even think people, if you don't work with her on a day to day basis, you probably wouldn't even realize how, just how much she's doing. And, um, she's been stepping up to be the interim manager while I've been the interim head of DevMar for the DevRel team. And she's just doing a great job of like working behind the scenes to empower our DevRel team and help them be successful. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to give her a shout out because I think that she's doing some really great stuff. And if you're seeing things that you like out of some of the Auth0 DevRel team right now, a lot of it is because of um, the work that Anna's putting in right now. So, yeah. Nice. Cool. So, Anna, again, thank you for all that you do. Please keep up the good work. Um, so lastly here, any proper hero is a well-rounded one, and we want to share some simple musical picks. So, Scott, what's the favorite thing you've been listening to lately? Uh, see, uh, again, nothing new. Um, <laughs> like, but, you know, like I, I don't know where I heard it, but the, um, in the week I heard um, Stand By Me. By Oasis, right? Not the not the classic, but "Stand By Me" by Oasis, right? And it took me back, and I was like, "Man, I really love that song. That's amazing." And yesterday, yesterday, I had the I had the kitchen stereo to myself, and put the album "Be Here Now" on, like by um, turned it up, and I remember that I really loved this album in 1997 when it came out, and that the, I remember distinctly that. They, the people at first said this was an amazing album, and then about six months later said this album stinks. Like this album's terrible, right? And I think I haven't listened to it for like twenty four years. And I put it on yesterday, couple of couple of bad songs on there, but honestly, I loved it. So I'm plugging that this week. <laughs> nice, cool. Um, Sam, how about you? So. Um... One thing that that it's not out yet, but I've been a really big fan of Radiohead for since I was in high school, probably, which yeah. at this point is like a 
embarrassingly long time ago, <laughs> but um, they are coming out. They just announced that in November, they're going to come out with this like reissue of their albums, Kid A and Amnesiac, which were, um, which came out when I was in high school and are kind of like anthems of my teenage years. But they're they're so they're doing a re-release of it and they're combining it with a bunch of unreleased material and a bunch mm. of B-sides and stuff like that. And so that's something that came onto my radar this week. And they they just they also released a single from it. I haven't actually had a chance to listen to it yet, but um that's something that I'm very, very excited about. Nice. I'm also very excited about that Kid A in particular. Well, and Amnesiac. They were both very personality defining. Uh, Me too, I had some, yeah. Some big experiences around those two albums uh, in my tape player and then in my CD player. <laughs> um, so connected to that is my pick slightly, which is to say I got really into the uh, horn and sax arrangements on Amnesiac um, and like, you know, spinning plates and all of that. And uh, Colin Stetson, I think, was playing in that group. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, he did some cool sax stuff. There's this other sax band that came up on my Spotify recommendations because of that called uh, the band is called Moon Hooch. And I guess if you want an album, it's there's one called Red Sky, which I like, but they also have this new thing, which is Super Cone Bros. It's weird. I don't know how to describe it. It's weird stuff. <laughs> It's that very low part of the saxophone or maybe even like another instrument where it's really guttural and stuff and these weird arrhythmic sort of things going on. So I've been getting a kick out of that. Uh, so we're checking out. And I, I do want to comment in case anyone's listening consecutively. Last time I, I picked the Cuphead soundtrack because uh, it was great. But then since then, I've played Cuphead and now I can't listen to the soundtrack without feeling anxious because it's such a hard game. Uh, it very much changed the nature of it. Before it was like, oh, this is nice, like 30s music. And now it's like, this is this is hard. <laughs> so, That's great. so nature, of, nature of music. Great. So it looks like that is all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. As we said earlier, if you enjoyed the show, you should like, heart, or star us in your podcatcher of choice. Reviews and ratings are how the fancy algorithms help people find our content and the power to help us within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our next episode, send a tweet to us at Heroes Front End. We'll add it to our list. Until next time, heroes, remember, with great front-end power comes great responsibility. See you next time.